Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to Secure the Insecure, the podcast where I say it's okay to not be okay. I'm Johnny Seafett, and every week I'm joined by one very special guest. Well, joining me this week, I'm glad to say it's not one guest, it's two guests. Now, you will know them as the Mac Twins, Alana and Lisa. They're DJs, founders of The Gut Health. They live by the motto, look twice, think twice. And I came across them years ago and they used to have a radio show on Virgin Radio. I was at Talk Radio. I used to walk past their studio and I used to think, oh my God, they look like they're having so much fun. There's always a celeb with them that I want to meet. They look like they're laughing and then I'm doing an interview next door, having a really deep chat and a cry. Which room do I want to rather be in? Then I found out that they have deep fried pizzas and I was like, oh my God, I need to meet them. So I'm so glad they came on my podcast. The Mac Twins. I love the fact that you used to walk past us and we looked like we were having fun. I used to feel very sorry for anyone that was producing us on those Saturday nights, to be fair. I remember we did like a birthday show and it was like we had so many guests that came in and out and we had our mum and fat man scoop in one segment and she kept calling him fat boy slim. Um, <laughs> and, uh, how did you lose that weight? Because I'm hoping to get a few pounds off from that. And I was like, Mum, shh, shh. Um, so yeah, that and another highlight was making a Christmas number one song with Busted. Obviously didn't go to number one. Um, but yeah, we made like a random on the hoof song. I love that. Fat Boy Slim to Busted. Such a range of guests that you oh, have yeah. on that show. We had such a random array of guests, to be fair. We had think- like one time the Pussycat Dolls came in to teach us dance and then, so we were like in the studio, we had like all our dance gear on. And then like on the very same show, we were talking about like really serious stuff and the producer was just like, this doesn't fit together, but are we just going with it? Yeah, I was like, yeah, absolutely. Well, just well that's what that. radio is. That's the basis of radio because every conversation that one would have with someone, if you, you know, the, the anecdote of you going to the pub and speaking to someone, you will be laughing and you will be crying and you'll have a deep chat and you'll be really silly as well. And that is what you try to emulate on your radio show. Exactly. And I think we were all very much about, you know, the extremes we were either prancing about that studio doing dance moves or yeah we were having sort of deep and meaningful saturday night chats for people that were sitting in on their own and i think yeah that was that is the beauty and the personable touch of radio isn't it well 
just a final bit on that. I remember when I used to go and pick up my delivery and you'd be dancing and the lights would be going off and it properly felt like a party just for the two of you. Johnny, I wish you'd have joined us. Oh, oh I wish it. Well, I was talking about the menopause whilst you were talking, whilst you were playing proper music. That's literally how we lived our lives. <laughs> I remember Dua Lipa said that she, was, she wasn't very big at the time. She'd just come out and she was like, that is the best interview I've ever done. And I was like, ah, it's because it was absolutely mental. Like, it was like Saturday <laughs> night and she's like, I want to come and have a night out. And we're like, come on, come down to the studio. Um, but yeah, we did When Alana went on honeymoon and I had co-hosts, so we did like, we alternated each hour. So I had like Molly King, John Newman and I did a show and we basically just made up music videos alternative music videos to each one of his songs in the studio and everyone was like it's radio and we were like yeah yeah and john noon and i pretend to like swim in the sea and stuff it was good times the days before live streams and webcams where you could get away with murder exactly yeah exactly that so two brilliant twins brilliant djs we've got to get back to the beginning though to find out how you got to that level of just being really hyper growing up in 1988 in edinburgh as twins no doubt. How was that for you both? Um, I mean, I th- we had an amazing childhood. Um, we, yeah, we went, we're still friends with all our friends that we were um, like childhood pals with. We were brought up with our cousins um, who one's a year older, one's a year younger. So there was four of us under four or like within four years of each other. So I think that's why we turned into um, performative attention seekers because <laughs> uh, we lived, we were born in a top four tenement flat. My mum was looking after four of us and she used to have to carry one baby up the stairs, leave that one, carry the next baby upstairs and leave that one. So yeah, she's um, she's the real hero in, this, in the story. But yeah, no, we had yeah an amazing upbringing. Were you twins, though, that were like, it's the two of us against the world? Because you did do different things as you kind of got older. Or were you like, yes, we're twins, but we live very different lives. We've got very different groups of friends. We're doing different career paths. We have different hobbies. We don't need to be seen as one. Yeah, we, my mum always encouraged us to be separate. We were in separate primary school classes, classes. So from the age of five, you know, my mum wanted us to be independent and, and separate. But there was like a, a, an abiding memory of our first day at school. And there was a, our two classrooms, you know how you get like A and B or whatever it is. And um, there was a glass wall dividing them. And Lisa and I stood at that for like all morning and cried and they had to um, take it all up so that we couldn't see each other. Um, but then after about a week, we didn't even pay attention. I can't even remember paying attention to Lisa in the playground or anything. I can't even remember. I, I just remember we used to play this. I don't know if you had this, Johnny. Join on the choo-choo train. Did you have that game? Join on. You never the got that down to England. <laughs> essentially, uh, we've never been on a train either. By the way, we were like to, we hadn't, we'd hardly been out of Edinburgh, so I don't it know where we're going. Essentially, a large conga by which you chanted "Join on the choo-choo train" around um, the playground, and joining the choo-choo train could get quite dangerous at times because there's a lot of people people on the choo-choo train. And Alana fell over at one point, and I cried. And she didn't, she fell over and dropped her um, frisps, I think it was at the time. And if you drop your frisps, you know, that's a bad day because we didn't get frisps every day. Um, and she dropped her frisps and I cried and she just got back on the tutor train and I was crying for her. Um, so I remember that. But apart from that, we just sort of pottered about living our own lives. Well, hold on, Lisa, did that not mean that you broke up that tutu train and there was a train fault in the railway tracks? The train got back on track really quickly. I was left at the station. Alana was moving on to the next station. I was very much left sobbing like the railway children on the platform, bereft. <laughs> Whereas Alana had a little skint knee and off she went. 
Oh, you make it sound like you had such a tragic moment then in your childhood. <laughs> so identity-wise, obviously now we know you as the Matchins, but identity-wise back when you were going up, obviously being in separate classes, were you known effectively as the McFarlane twins or were you known as Alana and Lisa with your own separate identities? Yeah, we yeah. were Alana and Lisa. Yeah, Alana and Lisa, definitely. And, and even in high school, you know, we took the complete opposite ends of the curriculum. So I did all like maths biology p and lisa took all like you know physics chemistry english and we weren't in one class together i think we did we were in one maths class and we nearly had a physical fight um and, and that was really it and then we went to university in different countries and yeah we 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 never ever wanted to work together sort of anyone of kind of create a rivalry between the two of you when it came to relationships like who was the first to have a relationship who's the first to have be in the popular crowd who's the first you know whereas normally it'd be like oh yeah that's my older sister or my younger brother and they're just doing what they're doing yeah no we were always on each other's side weren't we in that sense we always yeah. actually even though we spent quite a lot of time apart we had very similar friendship groups um, but I actually think it did us well at school because people were like, oh, the twins, oh, the twins. And we never, you know, we always, um, yeah. It was just High school, school, everyone used to call us the Farland dolls. Farland dolls, yeah. Peter, the Farland dolls. I don't know why that was. But yeah, we kind of, yeah, we all, it was like us against the world, but not, yeah, not like only us against the world, if that makes sense. <laughs> Your poor mum. So you've got the two of you as like a double act. And then you've got your mum who's like, I want to be the third cheerleader. Let me be part of the Powerpuff Girls. Yeah, well, my mum was, uh, was only young when she, well, she was 27 when she had us. Um, but yeah, I think we were a bit of a handful, to be honest. Well, I think she probably wanted to have more. And then she was like, as soon as our personalities came out, I think she was like, um, yeah, no, let's, <laughs> let's stick to these. <laughs> it's amazing to think that now, because I'm 28. Both of you are only four years older than me. So what, 32? Yeah. 32. So you're both 32. I'm 28. Imagine now having twins. Actually, having one child, let alone one child. Having twins at our age now. Like, I always think I'm not financially stable enough to have kids. I'm not mentally stable enough to have kids. I mean, I am mentally stable, but you know what I mean. Um, mm -hmm. But to have twins at that age now is just, an I know it's another generation, but it's like a new world to us now. I know. My um, mum, you know, they didn't have a lot of money. We were brought up in a really working class, um, come from a really working class background. You know, we lived in a top floor tenement flat. And I just think, God, how did she, how did she do it? Like, what an absolute queen. And what about your dad? How does he fit into this picture? So our dad actually died about in 2016. With a heart attack. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, he was the best man in the world. The complete opposite of Lisa and I, you know, very modest, um, humble. You know, he was he was ambitious, but you know, he worked in standard life basically his whole career, and you know, but family was everything to him. Like he could have been promoted and you know worked his way up within that organisation and said, no, no, I want to be home at five o'clock to be with my girls. So he was a huge part of our lives and was until until the day he died really um but yeah he's he was very we've got his face there's absolutely no doubt about that but um yeah he uh, he was very much more of a on the modest side and you were both 28 when he passed away how did that impact you at that age so i'm just thinking i'm 28 now if that had happened to me now i would be so lost even though i've moved out even though i've got my life kind of together 
but to lose a parent at any age, but 28 still is, you know, under that age of 30 where you don't really feel like you're an adult yet. Did it kind of make you both become more like teenagers again in your mindset? Yeah, I mean, you just, you, I mean, you, I mean, there's every emotion possible, but you, you know, dad died suddenly, like he died in the golf course. He didn't have any, you know, he wasn't ill um, uh, that, we, that we knew of. So, it, I mean, you, you just, you turn into a five-year-old that wants her daddy again. It's like you, everything in your life completely changes and, you know, everything has a kind of purple haze over it, you know, like all the kind of big life milestones and the stuff that you want to tell them, success, weddings, like kids, you, you know, you, it's all bittersweet because you want them there. Um, and yeah, we moved home with both our partners actually at the time um, to be with mum for like three months. And we, it was actually Virgin that when we got that offer um, that we were like, let's move back down, let's get back in the game. Um, so yeah, it was, yeah, I mean, we just dropped our lives and yeah, went to be with mum. So it was, yeah, difficult and still is, but you can learn to live with it. I had a random dream last night that he was asking me about the vaccine. Or maybe I was telling him about COVID, I can't remember. But I was like, Dad, you won't believe this. The world's absolutely mental. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I don't know what what I was saying. But I think as well, like, with grief comes such liberation of, you know, just absolutely going for it and and really puts life into perspective. And actually... was that it came at a time where actually really we sort of sat down and was like what what makes us happy what actually really matters to us and it was it was quite a yeah pivotal moment really I like that the idea of pivotal moment the idea of it being bittersweet because in the past four years obviously we've seen you on Love Island after sun your DJing career pre-covid had really taken off you had your virgin radio show on a national radio station those four years have been so instrumental to you and it's almost like your dad gave his blessing almost you know from above he was the one who literally puppeteered all into space he went white girls I've now gone but I'm going to put this in place now for you to stay happy yeah totally and my dad was like always the one that was like when are you two going to get a proper job but jokingly and was always so so supportive of whatever because Lisa was meant to do law and business medicine at uni and I was meant to do law and business so you can imagine their faces like first first kids to get into university like first people in our family to get into university and we wanted to go to drama school um but he his big thing was like I just want you to get a pension I just want you to get a pension and yeah last year we finally got a pension so um yeah he'll be happy up there but you're right like it what if you look back on it on hindsight when everything started to go really well for us um that it was after dad died but I think that comes with you know we were just like that sort of attitude of let's just absolutely go for this and make them proud and I think you know we could have we saw in the sort of like couple of months after he died how people couldn't go you know into quite a dark place and we could have easily slipped into that. So talking of pensions you've had it for a year how much money have you got in your pension at the moment? <laughs> I don't even know. I haven't even looked to be honest and that you would be the one that would probably be checking it. Because <laughs> the pension is I've had a pension I think for I don't know four years now and then you see how much money you've actually got into it and you're like mm. wow what what is the point how am I ever supposed to retire on that pension that yeah. I've now afforded? So- we're going to have to be working for a hell of a long time, put it that way. And 100%. with everything else going on, we're, we're, going to, we're all going to be working and the next generation below us for a very, very long time. So you both went your separate ways. Then 2005, you're 17 years old. You go to Magaluf and you go on what they call the cabbage diet to get ready for it. Yeah. Um, I mean, 
we were quite we we sort of took it in turns to be wild in that sense but at 17 i get we went to magaluf and we were but you went on a cabbage diet and then just put all the alcohol back inside your body. So oh, I'm, we're going to get to the gut health in a second, but balancing this out at the moment of I'm going to try and be healthy and then I'm just going to put a load of alcohol in. Does the cabbage and the alcohol outweigh each other? Uh, no, definitely not. And um, yeah, we, well, I think that was just like our attitude at the time that we used to just go on, um, you know, at that point we were all ironing our hair still. Like we, and as well, like, you know, we used to have, for lunch in Scotland, we used to have deep fried pizza and chips, um, a Greg softy and 10 Lambert and Butler um, for lunch. It was like, you know, we absolutely, if, even if dad now could see us, what we do now, um, or if, you know, our 14 year old selves could, they'd be like, what is going on? But I think, you know, I think that's probably why the gut stuff has had this potential success that it has because we we don't come from that world and we see it as everyone else sees it um but yeah magaluf was um a good rare 2005 we had sh- uh, shagaluf t-shirts on um we're and still, we both went, still best we both win and i i kissed the boy that i went to the p7 dance with and that was it yeah. like yeah <laughs> i didn't even kiss anyone i didn't i didn't even kiss anyone it was like yeah we went yeah we were like little weird, <laughs> only wanted to be with our pals. Yeah, I didn't kiss I want to know what my mum said to us growing up because we didn't let any boys near us for a very long time. <laughs> well, did you know what to do when you went to Agro? Because I went to Cavos when I was 17 and I remember someone had written us drinking games, what to drink. You need to buy vodka, you need to buy orange juice, you need to drink this at this time. Then you're going to go on this thing called a strip and there's these clubs and you go here, then you go here. Then you go here, and this one, you get a thing called a mind effer, this is what the drink is, and it has a condom on the outside. Make sure you <laughs> grab one of those, and we're like, what the hell is this? We just want to go bowling and go and watch a hypnotist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I can't remember. I think we had a few people in our group that were a couple of years older than us that probably, yeah, showed us the ropes. But, yeah, we just drank vodka and danced and went to And home. now that you see, obviously, like, Dijon, <laughs> a similar age, you're like, Oh, wow. It's positively feral. <laughs> Would you be anything different now that you've seen how people, because when you're DJing, obviously you're up at the decks and you can see the whole floor. Is there anything now that you see with the dancers that you wish you had done when you were 17 years old? No, I think I would have. Uh, I mean, we've been at a couple, we've DJed a couple of fold parties and you do not want to repeat what happens at them. Um, that would be my, that would be, uh, yeah, but I think I wouldn't take anything back. Everyone, I don't know that they're all quite sensible now like students when we go on our SU tours they don't really drink that much they sort of drink coffee and hypothesize about the world um oh that's me that's me yeah Yeah. (laughs) give me a hot chocolate because the pre-drinks very much when I was at uni were you'd go there in your with your hot chocolate probably in your pajamas you have a hot chocolate you take a load of selfies and then you go home again you go well that was my pre-drinks done I'm ready for a big night in bed oh my god I love it yeah, no, it definitely wasn't like that. I went to uni in London. Um, although it was a bit different because everyone was, it was obviously more expensive. Like it's not a student town. So it probably wasn't. And I didn't really go out because I had to work so much. So yeah, I, and we never really had that wild, wild student experience. Mm-hmm. So bringing it up then, 2017, the Mac Twins, Alana and Lisa, you launched the gut stuff. Let's go back a little bit further from that. Where did that kind of, right, we need to look inside our bodies now. We need to start thinking about what we're eating, how we're eating, what's going on in our digestive systems and why are there effects to what I'm doing, for example, when you go to the toilet? 
Yeah, so very, very random journey into gut health. Um, in 2015, we started volunteering for Twin Research, which is a research facility at King's College in London. And we did it just because we wanted to know physiologically what was different between us. Um, so they put lots of twins, thousands of twins, through lots of different experiments, you know, everything from bone density to mental dexterity. Um, and Tim Spector, who heads up the facility there, who you might recognise his name, he's done a lot with the COVID app. He said to us in 2015, do you want to have your guts analysed? And we were like, what's my gut for one? And two, you know, what do we have to do? Is that you've got to send your poo off in the post every day for two months. We were like, sound? Um, and then they put you're both like sound. Everyone else is like, you want me to go and dig something out of a, and put it in a canister and send that off in the post box? We are always up for anything, Johnny. <laughs> when it comes to medical research we are up for anything and I think that's why you know they chose us they asked us and um, but yeah long story short and um, they found out that even though we have 100% the same DNA we only have 30% the same gut bacteria but as we were going through all this research we were realized that we were not just speaking to you know gastroenterologists we were speaking to the head of Parkinson's research and you know um that we started to, to the, all the sort of links with, with mental health were coming out and actually that we were finding out that your gut just wasn't just your stomach, you know, it was everything from your mouth to your bum. And then there was this whole ecosystem called your microbiome that lives in your gut that influences almost all aspects of health. And we were like, why does no one know this? Like, why are people going on Instagram to see what one person eats when we as identical twins can't be sold the same diet? So how can anyone be sold the same diet? Um, and it sort of got the fire in our belly. And then as we started dipping our toe into the health and wellness world, we were like, wow, this is seen as a middle-class luxury and it's expensive and it doesn't have to be like all this information that we were learning from the scientists like straight from the horse's mouth were simple it was simple swaps and and then um, you know it was things like fiber and variety it wasn't like a, a little pill that was concocted in a lab that cost thousands of pounds and i think especially where we're from in scotland i think people see um you know health as just not being ill and wellness is like drinking on drinking green smoothies standing on your head listening to gong bass and we were like you know that just isn't the case um so not only was it gut health but we we, we just became really passionate about health in general and, and trying to democratize it really it's interesting you say about the anxiety i've been on the mediterranean diet for two weeks and i took sugar out my diet and or sweetener especially at my dogs had a lot of sweetener and taking the sugar out last night i had two biscuits at 9 30 ish and the first time i've had sugar and that spike and what it did to my anxiety late at night it kept me up for two hours from when i was supposed to go to sleep overthinking a thousand thoughts just because i had had two little biscuits it's mental i think you know i think when you cut things out and you know at the gut stuff we're not about restriction or cutting things out but i think you know we did actually a study around um blood sugar spikes and you just realize how much we influence our mood um through food you know we have coffees in the morning to perk us up then we drink to calm us down and then you know like it's we kind of artificially play with our moods a lot and it is quite a good you know we're not saying restrict any of that but it's sometimes quite a good exercise to not have any stimulants um, to see actually what parts of the day you do feel brighter because we try and manipulate that and I think you know now in lockdown and COVID it's quite a good time to do that because we potentially don't have the same structural um, constraints as we did before so you've got to be bang on at night when you go into the office like it's quite good to see where your natural circadian rhythm lies and and just to tune in I know like you know in our 20s we didn't tune in our bodies unless we were ill or we were hungover 
I mean, you know, not once did we ask ourselves, oh God, I'm not feeling it. We were just running at hundred miles an hour and, you know, eating and drinking what we liked. And actually the times just now are really good just to tune in and see what your triggers are and, you know, what, you know, how you're actually feeling rather than, you know, an app telling you. And where do you sit on vitamins? Because I've started taking vitamins B and D every day. And I've noticed that's massively helped my energy, not just to stop me picking and snacking, but even my mood that sometimes, especially during COVID, where I'm in the same room all day, every day and into the night, and it starts going that groundhog day feeling, usually about five o'clock, I've noticed these vitamins have stopped me having that lethargic feeling. Yeah, I mean, so with vitamins, like we always say, try and get everything through food. So if you're having a lot of different fruit and veg, that you should be getting nutrients. But vitamin D is the one that in this country we struggle with. <laughs> and we have got a lot of articles on the site about how much you should be taking, like how many milligrams, what format, like should it be a spray or whatever. Um, so yeah, I think the, the problem that, you know, that we have with vitamins is that people use them to supplement it not you, you know they think they're doing thing but people try and use it as like a magic pill so like i can have all this you know do all this but if i have my supplements or my vitamins i'll be fine and i think that you know it's not it's not as simplistic as that um but do you know what even if it is placebo and you're taking it and it makes you feel better they've got no energy who cares like over gold okay and what are your other diet if you could give kind of your top five not diet tricks but five top tips about how to keep nutritionally well what would you say because obviously we always know you know an, an apple a day keeps a doctor away or five fruit and veg portions a day but what do you both think are your five top tips for that so yeah we've got a team of you know scientists and dietitians gps nutritionists that we call upon and um, so all this advice comes from them and it's the sort of three or four things that they all agree on. Um, so the first one is fiber. Like fiber is the unsung hero of nutrition. We all, we all know what fiber is, I think. Um, but we, what we didn't know, but we always knew that it sort of like made you go, as our granddad Jim used to say after he'd had his cereal. Um, but we now know that fiber is the food for the good bacteria. Um, so we actually need, the recommended amount is 30 grams a day, which is actually quite a lot when you think that broccoli a portion of broccoli is only two and a half grams it's quite hard to get up to that 30 gram um hit but fiber is our top of the list thing that we should all be thinking about we all are having fiber so you know fruit veg whole grains nuts and seeds we just need to be up in it um and then next one lisa variety do you want to yeah. say that one yeah um so you know, we've got, um, we haven't actually really got onto this, but there is a whole ecosystem that lives in and around and on us called our microbiome. Um, and it uh, consists of like bacteria, viruses, fungi, lots of different things. But our gut bacteria, they actually outnumber our human cells and they're so influential. Like they speak to our immune system. They, you know, they've got so many different jobs that are really important, but we need to help feed them as well. And fiber does that, but also variety is a really good way to try and diversify the different types of bacteria in your gut um, and there's been quite a lot of scientific research around the number 30 so 30 different types of plant-based fruit veg nuts and seeds a week which sounds like a high number um, but I think it's firstly has to be a habitual change so when you go into the supermarket you're like right I know what to do with this and because you're like we didn't know what an avocado was until we moved to London like we're absolutely not preaching on different types of veg here um but trying new things so that you get a big broad different range of stuff for your gut bugs to eat um 
yeah and i think that you know there is we've got all the hacks so like different like nuts and seeds mixes pouring them over salads different salad bags with different leaves um i think it you know 30 seems like a high number but it is relatively easy once you get the the hang of it mm-hmm. um, and the main one we would say is just like empowering yourself with the knowledge i think you know, gut health is is complex in the science, but it's also super personalized. You know, if Lisa and I are completely different with the same DNA and people need to know, find out what works for them, but just empowering yourself with like what the gut actually is, what does it do? What does it affect? Actually is the thing that really, because behavior is the, the thing within health and wellness that is the barrier for almost everyone. Like we're all set in our ways and we all like what we like and don't like what we don't like. And, and the, the thing with behavior is that, it's about the, uh, learning the facts. So like when we found out that 70% of our immune system was housed in our gut or that 90 to 95% of serotonin, which is your happy hormone, is producing your gut, that was like a light bulb for us. Like, right, okay, that's going to actually make me change what, what I'm doing. And don't get me wrong, like we're absolutely not angels. Um, you know, we still like a drink and, and you know, potentially a McDonald's at 3 a.m. if we're staggering home, you know, in, in our past lives, um, you know, a lot of dead lives. But it's about tipping that balance. Um, and it's, it's not about, you know, I think we were guilty, obviously, we were talking about Magaluf earlier in the cabbage soup diet, doing a diet two weeks before we went on holiday. And actually, you know, we've just, just going through the research just completely flipped that on its head of thinking about, um, you know, more long term and about adding stuff in instead of restricting things. And it just absolutely infuriates us when you see all this nonsense on Instagram about detox teas and, you know, all these fad diets. It's just, they just don't work. And, you know, you know, at, at sort of best, people are wasting their money, but at worst, they're doing, they're doing damage. Well, you've taken all this research and all this knowledge into a book that you're releasing called The Gut Stuff. So by the time this podcast goes out, it would have been out as published by Pavilion Books. I presume you're going to be putting all that research in there and you've spoken to experts and you've got, what I like is I've had a little look at the book and you've got little takeaway boxes at the end. So it's kind of that quick fix at the end, right, bang, bang, bang. Yes, I now know this. I need to move on to that. Yeah, I think you know, a lot of books out there for health and wellness are like so complicated. They're so big. They're so laborious to get through. And you get halfway through it and then you do one recipe and you put it on your bookshelf and that's it. And for us, it was about making the the science and the facts fun and so that people could, you know, easily digest the information, excuse the pun. Um, and it was important, you know, when we do talks, people love learning about it, but then they're like, right, what's the one tangible tip I can take away and do tomorrow or the next day or next week? And that's why it was important for us in, in that book to um, not only have all the science and the facts, but have actually like action points that people can do once they've read the book. Because that's the thing, people are spending about £50 a month on just diet things that they think they need. And actually, 90%, as you said, won't be making as much of a difference. It's all about the inside rather than the outside. Yeah, I think, you know, these detoxes and cleanses and stuff, you know, it's tempting. They are um, billed as a quick fix. People think, you know, they're thinking about weight loss primarily, but I think we do ourselves a disservice when we um treat it like that like a short-term quick fix you know it's our body that's linked to so much different things in health that we need to start thinking about a longer term approach and really you know taking care of ourselves and these detoxes and stuff it's like you know you were born with a liver hopefully and um, that functions well uh, that's the only thing that you'll need to uh, detox yourself is the liver that you were born with and it's interesting how many people want to die 30 percent of adults 
43% of millennials, 48% of General Z want to die. And I suppose it's interesting for both of you, coming from a Love Island after Sun, there is that very much stereotype of the Love Island body. And it's interesting that 48% of Generation Z want to have that almost what I call the Love Island body now, that we're looking to Instagram of this is the ideal. But as we know, filters and everything like that and the angles aren't always telling us the truth about what people actually look like. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, absolutely. And I think, you know, that, that generation are probably the ones that are most susceptible to skinny tees and, you know, lollipops or whatever other nonsense. And I think that hopefully this summer we can start a campaign to get people, particularly that audience, thinking from the inside out because it will serve you so much better thinking about that than it does, um, yeah, from, from the outside in and, and only thinking about aesthetics for for so many different reasons but you know one of them um hopefully the most important being your health 2020 wasn't just the year of covid it was also well the last year of love island and you're obviously on after sun uh can love island come back this summer do you think and it and have you been booked to do after sun again yeah we are we at the gut stuff we now have 10 members of staff <laughs> it's like a full business operation we're like full CEO vibes and um, we haven't got time to sleep never mind do that <laughs> um yeah I would be very surprised if we do um you know maybe we'll do little sets ourselves in our garden but um yeah I think that we you know our focus has really shifted and I think that lockdown help has helped that um you know primarily because we want we need to be in our beds before midnight we're getting old um <laughs> so yeah the gut stuff is definitely our our priority now but hopefully we can reach the audiences that will be watching love island with this really with all this really important messaging obviously it's a year since caroline flack passed away what are your memories of working from what legacy do you think she left for love island after sun with you guys um, well, I mean, we can categorically say that we would have not been on that show without Caroline. Um, we were we were booked to do one show. Um, it, the, in the house, they were having a house party. <laughs> and they were like, should we get some DJs in to emulate that for After Sun? And we were booked for that. And um, yeah, Caroline really pushed and supported us to be on that show. Um, and it was all down to her, really. We knew we, we were friendly with Caroline before that. Um, but the show really, really took off in the year that we started and it was brilliant, but you know, a whirlwind for everyone. Um, and yeah, she was, she was very, in, the, in an industry where women like to tear each other down and be really competitive, she absolutely was not that and she fought for us to be on that show. You've already mentioned that the gut stuff you're quite busy with at the moment. Obviously, DJing is your other side part. Obviously, in COVID times, you haven't been allowed to DJ. Have you, obviously, you've kind of touched on it already, you've kind of moved your shift over to the gut stuff. But do you miss DJing or have you found, yes, it was a creation, we did it, but I've almost lost the passion for it. Because number one, I haven't done it for so long. And number two, I can't ever eliminate what we did before. I'm never going to see a full dance floor again of, you know, a thousand people all getting off of each other and dancing to our music but we're making that impact with music anymore because we don't actually want that type of lifestyle now well yeah. you know when we when i sort of daydream about it the lifestyle perspective of you know being on tour doing four gigs a week i definitely think we couldn't go back to but the last two gigs we did was twickenham to eighty thousand people and hugman eighty eighty thousand people in one week so you know nothing will ever be able 
to, you know, that feeling is just nuts. Like the Hogmanay, we did five hours of live telly and then Mark Rodinson handed over to us for the final hour. It was like, we would ne- if we hadn't stopped this year, we would never have been able to compute that. And I think now, hopefully, we can start to cherry pick those kind of experiences. Um, that- I think as well, I think there's nothing, you know, there's nothing with DJing that I was like, I wish we'd done that. You know, there wasn't any boxes left to tick, really. I think we'd done everything we wanted to do. You know, we knew we were never going to be Calvin Harris. We were very, you know, we, we were very um, realistic with ourselves. You know, we didn't, we didn't want to make music. So it yeah, was like... We didn't, want to, we didn't want to produce our own music. So, you know, it was a different type of DJ that, than that. But I think, yeah, we had some amazing experience DJing. And, you know, it was strange on, on New Year's Eve this year to not be DJing. But um, it was also quite nice to actually have a New Year's Eve off after 10 years of DJing. Okay. But yeah, never say never. <laughs> there we go. See, you've so you've been so media trained. Never say never, and obviously there's more things in the pipeline. Always love those two phrases. And obviously it's edited out. Um, you know, you only get to see four to five minutes of an hour show, whereas we live it for twenty four hours, and you don't see the real us. It was all the edit. A <laughs> um, couple of quick fire questions that have come in for you. Uh, Sophie in Brighton says, "Do you think there's any evidence that people's gut health have?" has gotten worse over the years as more diets and trends have come about compared to that of many years ago when everything was stripped back to basics. Yeah, absolutely there is. Um, Actually, the first chapter in our book is uh, about that. So Chris, uh, well, there's several factors at play. Um, There's an amazing um, GP, well, he's actually the head of British Lifestyle Medicine, um, Dr. Chris George. He does the kind of um, setup of of the book. And like, you know, for several reasons, over sanitization, which of course in these times, please, you know, sanitize yourself. Um, the like, excess use of over-processed foods, and um, we don't spend as much time outside, like all this stuff affects our gut health and our microbiome. And yeah, of course, like people, um, there's such a high amount of people that have digestive issues now. Um, and yeah, we didn't realize that until we were at dinner parties and people wanted to speak to us about you know, how many poos they'd done rather than what DJ gigs we'd done. And I think that's when we knew that, um, yeah, our lives had taken a swift turn. <laughs> uh, but yeah, absolutely, Sophie, I think that um, for lots of different reasons, um, cool. digestive issues are on the rise, yeah. Uh, Lisa, for you, this is from Chloe in Bristol. What are your views on em- elimination diets, removing the likes of dairy, gluten, sugar, soy, caffeine from your diet, and then reintroducing them slowly to find out what your trigger foods are intolerances is there enough evidence accuracy around intolerance tests for this instead and if so which one would you recommend so there is absolutely no evidence um around intolerance tests that you can buy online unfortunately and um, the big ones so if you're um so i think the first thing i would say with this is educate yourself educate yourself around the difference between an allergy and an intolerance uh, we have an amazing immunologist called jenna mackie okay that has loads of information that, about that on our site and um, so that would be the first instance i think that we are all far too quick to jump to excluding everything especially gluten and dairy um, the elimination diet is, you know, the one best proven way to do that. Um, your doctor can test for if you're lactose intolerant or you're celiac, and so your GP can do that. But unfortunately, the tests that you can buy online that claim to do that, um, the way they work is basically telling you all the food that you've eaten. It's basically food that's gone into your bloodstream, and which is essentially stuff that you've eaten. Um, 
But you again can... on the site, this is explained a lot more, far more eloquently than I could. Um, but yeah, please, and, please. And you should it. not do any sort of elimination diet on your own. You should always do it with a health trained professional. Yeah. Well, you both did two weeks of just eating uh, processed food, which I thought, God, that sounds amazing. But you must have got bored of it about five days in of going, I've had a Chinese, I've had a McDonald's now, I've had a KFC. I literally just want a carrot stick. It was horrible. And as well, so we did it, at the, it was actually for a month and we did it at the Edinburgh Festival. And we were DJing for Tia Maria at the time um, during the day. So we were on this milk truck and we were having like Tia Maria and like, oh, I mean, I thought, don't know. So we're eating really processed food. We were having these milkshakes. And then we had, we did our DJ battle show. So we'd come off stage from that, full of like processed food and milkshakes. It was disgusting. And then we went on stage at 1 a.m. for our DJ battle show um, for two hours. And we had loads of Red Bull. Like you can imagine the state of our, we were on painkillers for how sore our stomachs were by the end of it. Yeah. And, you know, at the at start, we were like, yeah, chips and cider. Woohoo. And then, yeah, a couple of, yeah, a weekend, we were like, this is, uh, I hope medical research gets something out of this because this is hell. And Alana, last question for you. This is from Emma in Cardiff. You've obviously touched on you should be having about 30 grams of fiber a day, but how much fiber is too much fiber? So start slowly with fiber. Um, you know, don't go from zero to hero. Um, you, they say if you're um, up your fiber by five grams a day for a week and have lots of water. Um, you know, everyone's different, so everyone can tolerate different levels of fiber. So you just need to do what works for you, really. Um, with that 30 grams in mind, of that that's what is recommended. But yeah, start really slow um when you're up in it and um, but again it's difficult to actually measure how much fibers and things like for example we said about the broccoli being two and a half grams um and apples about four grams so you do need quite a lot to get to 30 um if you do have like adverse effects like bloating and stuff that's because your gut bacteria so they eat the fiber are having a bit of a party and they're like woohoo and then giving off lots of extra gas because they're nice and cool and thingy so yeah that can be why The Mac Twins, Alon and Lisa there. What amazing, amazing girls. The gutstuff.com is where you can find out more information about them. Their book, produced and published by Pavilion Books, is out to buy now. And just really start thinking about your gut. Really think about what you're putting inside your body, but also what your body is telling you as well. And let's hope that we can really go to a party next year and see the Mac Twins DJ, because I am so down for that. You've been listening to Security and Security with me, Johnny C. If you've liked what you heard, please do rate the podcast, like it and subscribe to it. I can't make this podcast successful for your help. So if you can go onto iTunes now, give it five stars and leave a review, I'd really appreciate that. Security and Secure podcast on Instagram is where you can find us. There's teaser episodes and motivational quotes to get you through your days. And I'll be back same time next time for you, where you're going to be inspired by another person. Until next time, I've been Johnny Seifert. Thank you and goodbye. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.